hello, hello. Welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name is Tom. Oh, hello, hello yourself there. It's Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. Hello, guys, and all you metalheads at home. Happy Friday, dude. We're coming in. Heavy Hole is Justin. Yeah. My brother. Thanks I'm for keeping it real. Heavy. Yeah. Heavy on the heavy hole, brother. I need that realism, you know. I yeah. need the extreme lifestyle. Hell yeah, dude! Out of bees, man. You go to out of bees, man. You spend twenty dollars, they give you a free ticket to see Jungle Cruise. What's going on, heavy hole podcast? <laughs> yeah, what was going on with that extreme lifestyle weekend, Justin? Tell us about it, brother. Oh yeah, dude. Well, I cried a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you were listening to Epic Doom like disembowelment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it just did stuff. I uh, went fishing, trying to get the fish on. Oh. You know, uh, changed my tactics up a little bit. You know, oh. lost all the hardware. Mm. Got rid of the fancy bright blue line because water's not blue over here. So I got that green line to blend in. You know what I mean? Huh. Like a black T-shirt at a show, blending in. Interesting. I'm reminded mm. of Arnold Schwarzenegger in Predator when he realized to coat himself in mud. That's right. To hide himself from the infrared vision. I'm going to start like painting my lines all camo. Like, all right. Okay. Yeah. I like it. I like it. And getting rid of the hardware, tying FG knots. All right. Tenacious. It stands for a fucking good knot. All right. I got it. We got to talk on the side about that. I have no idea what's going on now, but I like it. <laughs> Thank Let you. that bass you showed us. That was a nice guy there. Yeah. Did you that, eat him? A huge I ate, sea bass. Yeah, big ass sea bass. I ate him. That was literally twice the size of your average sea bass. That was a tremendous sea bass out there on the James mm. Joseph Charter yep. boat. Dinosaur. Of Huntington Bay. If you listen to this at home, look at your foot. Times it by three. Yeah. Damn. Maybe minus a foot. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. Imagine the double bass you could get on that. Yeah, right. Amazing. Flopping. Get that floppy bass sound. Yeah. It's not the fastest, but it's the loudest kick drum I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, speaking of kick drums, and I don't know about floppy bass, but how about floppy discs? I know Tom likes his computers. Uh, how you doing over there? I, wow. I know we don't use those anymore. I'm it's, the whiz kid, it's man. Joke. It's like if we were the Burger King kids, I'm the one in the wheelchair, right? <laughs> Whoa. The burger? I remember the McDonald's characters. Was Who it, were the Burger King kids? There was like these Burger King kids, and one of them I think was a whiz kid, but I think I'm confusing it with uh, yeah, something else. It was like I, a children's friendly Stephen Hawking, like because he might have been a little threatening to a, a younger child. He I was just, smart looking. I yeah. just want to be Grimace from McDonald's if we're doing this yeah. right. Okay. We could do the franchise crossover. You guys notice something different about down here? Dude, um, the lighting has changed. Yeah. Uh, wait, I'm now, I, now I'm on the spot. Uh, well, I... No, I mean Justin got it. Oh, it's just the it's just the different lights. Yeah, these are uh, these are five hundred watt Philips Hue bulbs. I think. That's oh. right. Yeah, oh. these are these are seven thousand dollars worth of bulbs. <laughs> here, to, to Home Depot. These are actually quieter, believe it or not. Yeah. Now oh I know. My God, those, stop! I kid you not. <laughs> yeah, they are quieter. Far They're, less decibels coming out of these yeah, bulbs. It was, it's I, four of the bulbs of the old stage setup that just was like flashed kiss above the uh, the arenas all across the world. Right. Well, I had those that. dimmers in here and. Um, Something about the electricity would actually pulse through the air, and it would get picked up in my guitar input. Huh. So I would have this really dirty DI. So I started recording guitar in the dark for a long time. Wow! Uh, like extra cult. So you went from Phil Collins can feel it in the air to yeah. Dirty Diana with Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the last thing you said? Fire in the sky or something? I, I don't know. Exp- what was that band? Explosions in the sky? That's yeah. not me. I yeah. couldn't. I couldn't make it through an album. Oh boy! All these different bands. And they, I don't know. Listen, <sighs> tell me about your your experience this weekend. Perhaps your bands. Uh, no, things are going very well. We got a lot of nice nice developments on the afterbirth front that we'll tell people about in due time. Yeah. Always always creative. 
Always, always working with those talented guys, making creative things, using our creativity, wreaking aura, doing things, man. Nice little things with the bands. Everything's cool. The jalapeno peppers are growing. Um, the potatoes. Uh, my potato garden inspires me because it is like underground, even though it's above ground. <laughs> it's in barrels. And it's in barrels full of dirt, and you don't really know. Like, there's, you can't really tell if the potatoes are growing right. You gotta have faith in the underground. You know uh, what I'm saying? How's that uh, product that that dude, that horn, horny god? I'm, I, well, I'm waiting. Uh, I'm waiting to do it because I'm, I'm waiting till we get a little bit more fruit developing on okay. the jalapenos, man. Because I think that's probably the, in my, in my personal amateur opinion, best time to do it. But when I do that. We're gonna share it on the uh, on the IG, man. Don't worry. You know, okay. Let everybody know about the process. It's gonna be great. Yeah, I can't wait to just eat jalapenos and, and uh, potatoes. <laughs> That's really fun. <laughs> you, well, you can make a baked potato, a little jalapeno, a little bacon on there. You that know would I mean? sully horny god's efforts. Yeah. Yes. Listen, from the dirt, we gotta go. Mm. Yeah. Somebody, dumb, dumb somebody color. else who took it from the dirt, uh, kept it hot all these years. Um, not under many different names and many different bands, like Tom did with the Phil Collins and Dirty Diane. All this little one name, uh, one man, Dave Greger, guitarist and vocalist of Morta Skulls. All kidding aside, let's get serious, gentlemen. Is our guest tonight, um, classic pioneer in the fine art of death metal. We're gonna get him on the horn tonight. Only sick riffs. Yeah, yeah get him, dude. get him, get the get get him on the riff. Get get the flip punch. Punch the floppy disk up and hit the link and get him on my riff. Riffin'. This is Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, joined by my co-hosts Tom and Justin, as always. Yep. And tonight, our special guest is none other than Dave Greger of Mortiscold. How you doing, Dave? I am doing fantastic. How are you guys doing? Beautiful, doing real man. great, man. Thanks awesome. for joining. Yeah, thanks for asking, man. Um, and uh, Dave, there's, there's a lot we want to talk to you about um, from... Uh, uh, not not just from the classic Mortiscold material, but right up to your latest album, Suffer for Nothing, uh, and and uh, what you got planned for the future. But the listeners know where I'm going right now. I always start at the beginning, and this time I do have to shout out uh, Ritual Madness podcast. Um, you did an interview on that platform several months ago, if you remember. Yes, uh, sir. I know it's been kind of a blur of, of podcasting for you nowadays. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I got to shout them out as research. I always give credit where credit's due, and I feel like it would be redundant for me to ask the same questions. So I learned from that podcast, and our listeners can learn a lot of, a lot about you and the Mortiscold experience from that podcast too. Uh, but I learned, um, you know, you talked a little bit about uh, being from uh, an environment where you were raised by a single mother. Um, and uh, a, a stepfather at a time gave you a tape recorder, and you were getting into recording TV shows at a young age, right? Yes. Yeah, that is correct. Well, uh, yeah, well, the question I always lead off with is, are you from a musical family, like any musicians in your family or anyone who encouraged you to, to get into rock or, or heavy metal music? Um, so with that in mind, knowing that you kind of took off on your own with that tape recorder, is there any, like, history of music in your family that predates you? 
there no there really isn't um nobody nobody that i can think of you know i i ask people and no i i think really it started you know with my mom just listening to you know lps you know back in the the 70s and just growing up with you know just her spinning records all the time and then of course me getting a tape recorder and kind of experimenting with you know just how we're you know just recording stuff at like you know i was probably like 10 years old 10 11 um you know just recording you know the tv so it's kind of really where it started and i just you know i just guess as i went on and started listening to bands um you know black sabbath and ozzy was like a real pivotal point for me and so that's i think i think once i started listening to that to that style of music it just kind of was like hey i think this is something i want to do and kind of you know, led me to kind of go further and further and, and you know seek out more bands and just kind of i guess enjoy enjoy what was going on at that time okay and um i, I know if i got it right you jo- you went out and joined the marines at a fairly young age right yeah yeah i don't know if it was real young it was i was, I was like 19 so maybe a little bit later than some but i mean you know, there there were some guys that were you know in their early twenties when they joined. So yeah, I was I was about nineteen. Were you playing an instrument prior to that? You know, that's a great question. I I had tried. I, I had a I had one of those like court star guitars that were like stupid cheap. You know, like one hundred fifty bucks. I had bought one and I bought an amp with it. And I was like, you know, I think I'm gonna try to teach myself how to play. Um, it didn't go very well. Uh, and being in the uh, environment that I was in with my mother, um, she was a very not a very supportive person. So uh, I remember one day I came home and like all my stuff was just was not the guitar, but like the amp was destroyed, the cables were cut, you know, all, all the instrument cables, and it just kind of like I kind of felt really defeated, and I kind of felt like, well, wow, I really suck at this. I can't do this. So so I might as well go into the service. You know, I might as well go into the Marine Corps and. Kind of one of one of the one of the small reasons of why I went in, but Dude, wow, that, that's heavy. Man. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a lot to take in, especially at a young age. Yeah, yeah, it really, yeah, it really was. I, you know, and I, I, like I said, you know, uh, my mother was very abusive, but the stepfather I was with, he was very abusive to her. So I, I don't know if she was just trying to pay it forward or what was going on. Um, but yeah, it was it was, a, it was a rough a rough growing up. Uh, you know, a lot of kids were focused on you know school or college or you know this and that and i was just me it was just one day at a time you know and i think i found a lot of solace in in music um you know back in the day when they had the walkmans you know i mean dude i had that thing glued to my hip every second of the day and i remember working i worked in this restaurant it was an all-you-could-eat restaurant back in the uh early 80s and in our hometown and uh very well known and i was like scrubbing pots and pans you know just filthy man smelling like food whole nine yards every night but man i think i had like docking tooth and nail i think i wore that cassette out um i think i had uh, blizzard of oz i wore that cassette out you know i had a, a band called black and blue from back in the day i mean i had all this you know all these cassettes and i was just wearing them out constantly because that that walkman was just you know I, I had those headphones on my ears in my you know because it just i just felt peaceful when i was listening to this music you know and it just was something where I feel like I could escape. So I mean, it was a great, it was a great outlet for me. Wow! And uh, well, hearing you say that, then is it safe to say that uh, George Lynch and uh, Randy Rhodes played some role in you aspiring to be a guitarist? Um, I no, I, I love George Lynch, but I wouldn't say he was part of it. But Randy Rhodes, for sure, absolutely, one hundred percent. 
One hundred percent. Yeah. Like I, I saw him and I was like, oh, my God. Like, I still want to be a guitar player now. <laughs> I've always said I always wish George Lynch just turned it up a notch and joined like a thrash band or something, you know, back in right? the day. But yeah, I mean, he's good enough. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. I mean, the guy's stupidly good. You know, it's I kind of feel like, you know, him branching out into all these other like different bands like really didn't do much for him you know like mm. I, I agree with you i think he should have just waited and like joined the super group or something or you know somebody else and maybe 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 his you know career would have blossomed a little more yeah well what if um but but speaking of your career still um uh something we had uh um steve uh from uh Pieron and sepidus on uh, a few weeks ago and he he was in the Navy for about 11 years. And a question I asked him that I wanted to ask you is, mm-hmm. did your experience traveling the world uh, in the service in some way prepare you for or in some way give you a unique perspective on when you would later tour with a band? You know, I, I man, I had a lot of anxiety. I mean, I still have I still have anxieties, but I, mean, I had a lot of anxieties back then being real young. And especially um, no role model to look to, um, you know, nobody to nobody to say like, hey, do this or do that or, you know, or this is what you could do with your life or whatever. So I was a very confused young man. And uh, uh, the, the service kind of it really wasn't for me. I, I didn't like I didn't, it was too much of a change. It was like every six months you're packing up and you're moving somewhere. So I, I didn't care for I didn't really like the instability. Uh, but I do think by that happening yes i do think that did prepare me for later on for traveling and you know like uh uh, uh almost two years ago this november we played atlanta death fest and i remember we we flew out and i don't know whatever the flight is we flew out we got in and then we had to pretty much wait around all day get in the venue set up wait to play played you know three o'clock in the morning get drove back to the airport and then we sat in the airport till like nine o'clock the next morning to catch our flights out home so it was a very exhausting trip. It was very well worth it. Um, but yes, I do think that the, the service prepared me for, you know, for that, uh, you know, you're tired, you're down and out, you're crabby, you know, you don't want to deal with stuff. And then here, you know, in the service, there is no, oh, sorry, you're crabby, go back to bed. You know, oh. it's like, you know, no, get out and do this, or this is what you're supposed to do. So suck it up and, and uh, you know, deal with it later. So I would say yes. I would say it definitely helped me uh, in, in that aspect, my, uh, fr- um, mind frame wise. Okay, um, and you know you spoke very candidly about um, your, your your family experience as a young man, and um, uh, joining. You just talked about being in the service. With that in mind, I mean you've kept Mortiscold going, um, you know, through uh, quite a few years with with the original lineup, and now with a reformed lineup. And um, really, you can't just call it a, a, a comeback. You were still an active musician between the years and so on and so forth. Would you credit uh, any of that tenacity um, to not stop and, and to continue on? Would you credit, credit any of that with um, uh, maybe uh, anything you learned in the service? Uh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, you know, the one thing I, I learned in the Marine Corps was, is, you know, you can do whatever you want, you know, and. Uh, I'll never forget it because I that's probably like what 30 some years ago and uh, I'll never forget it my drill instructor was like you get through this and the rest of your life is gravy <laughs> you know and he always said that and I was like I don't know what this guy's talking about you know because when I came out of this when I came out of the service I faced a lot of adversity too with uh, you know even just coming home and 
you know, my family kind of being, uh, some, some other family members being abusive and all that. So it wasn't, it wasn't easy when I came home, but it was easier for me to adapt and overcome as they say. So yeah, I really feel that it was like, Hey, if you can get through this basic training, you can do whatever you want. And I really, I, I've always had a drive in me. Um, earlier on, I just didn't know what it was, what, you know, what it was for, what the purpose is. Um, and as uh, after uh, you know the earlier years of Mortiskeld, yeah, I came right out of the Marine Corps. I went right to the Conservatory of Music here in town. I took like two quick rhythm courses, and I just started playing guitar. Like right, I was like, I'm, I'm forming my own band. I didn't learn any cover songs. I just started doing my own thing, and I think that kept me going was that that drive and that passion. Going like, you can do what you want. You just got to really be passionate about it. And, and you have to you have to do it full on. You can't do it half off. Even still to this day, uh, regardless of where I'm at in in, the, in this music industry or business, I still approach it full on because it's it's my passion. I would love to do it for a living. Um, unfortunately, days and times, you know, sometimes it doesn't always pay the bills. But you know, maybe someday it'll happen. Uh, but no, I, I I approach it with a hundred percent passion. It's something I love. Um, and it's something that like your people like yourself and the fans allow me to do. And, uh, I just really appreciate that. Wow. Uh, that's a, that's a great perspective. Uh, and you, you, you mentioned the music conservatory <clears throat> there, um, right after the Marine Corps. Let me ask you, cause something I did want to bring up in the course of this interview is when we talk about like the kind of golden era of um, late 80s, early 90s death metal when it's really taking form out of thrash metal and that sort of thing. Uh, people talk about Florida. They talk about the Bay Area. They talk about New York. But do you feel like the, I'll just say maybe the Great Lakes states get <laughs> a little bit under undercredited and maybe even Chicago um, overshadows like uh, Indiana and, and Wisconsin a little bit because there was a lot of bands, yourself included, but obviously you would know better than me the other bands too. Yeah, no, and, and that, that that that's a great question because yeah, Milwaukee always kind of felt like we were like in the shadow of Chicago, uh, so to speak. And when the death metal scene started to become fruitful, um, you know, all these bands started popping up out of Wisconsin left and right, and even now like. Uh, when we went overseas, people like really like know Milwaukee for like the death metal bands, and they know all the bands. Even though the, most of the bands aren't around anymore, they know the bands, they know the history, and so I think Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee Metal Fest probably put us on the map as far as for recognition, um, because at that point, yeah, everybody's looking to Florida and they were looking to Chicago and New York and look at all these bands, look at all these bands and. Here, right here in town in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, we had a lot of talent, and we had a lot of talented bands that did some really cool stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think for a while there was a little bit of foreshadowing, but I think like once the Milwaukee Metal Fest took off, I think it kind of put us on the map ourselves. And I think that's when a lot of the bands uh, like ours, you know, were able to take off uh, and were able to to get signed to Peaceville and and you know do uh, you know the, the the awesome records that we were able to do with them. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I want to talk about that also just for the listeners because there's a lot of renewed interest nowadays in the old school and some of the bands that maybe didn't get that attention the first time around. Um, one of whom is Viogression, um, and I know there's some kind of ties there. I wanted to ask you right off the bat a question that I wanted to confirm. Uh, Jeff Yeager, Barry Yeager, and Brian Yeager—if I said the last name correctly—are they all brothers? 
Yes. Okay, yep. and I there's a there's a Paul in there, but he wasn't in, he wasn't in a death metal band, but he plays as well. But yeah, there's four brothers, and then the three were yeah, you're correct. Okay, and if I'm not mistaken, Jeff, I guess is probably either the oldest or or maybe the lead one to take on drums because he was involved with Morta Skull very early on, right? Yes, yes. I think I actually I think Paul might be older, but I think Jeff is like second. Okay, yeah, because the other two, Barry and Brian, are twins, and they're the youngest. Huh. Okay, interesting. And and now, um, I also heard from your interview on Ritual Madness podcast. What was it, Brian Yeager or Brian um, Deneff, uh, vocalist of Iogression, who uh, kind of gave you some tips early on on doing vocals when you transitioned from being a guitarist to a guitarist and a vocalist? Uh, Brian Deneff, actually, he was the. It, it, it's 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 kind of a funny story. We were. It, it, the band before Mortis Gold, we were trying to do like the crossover stuff, like SOD, MOD. And I I still love that stuff till this day, man. I mean, probably two of my favorite bands. Um, and we were trying to kind of do that, you know, because we really like that style. And we had this weird song. The band was called Delayed Stress. And we had this weird song where everybody switched instruments. And I went to vocals. And we always had people over. It was kind of like a party, a party practice um, most most days. And uh, we always had people over, you know, beer flowing and all that. And Brian Deneff, he would stop by now and again, and he stopped by. And he's like, hey, man, he's like, I really think you should be the singer. And at the time, we had a singer. Um, he just really wasn't doing a good job. And so Brian was like, hey, you should really sing. And I told Brian, I said, I have no idea how to sing. I, you know, whatever. And he's like, well, I'll help you out, you know. So he really helped a lot out in that first demo. Uh, all, well, all and Jeff Yeager helped uh, Jesse Roferts, the drummer at the time. So, I mean, we all had help. And then Eric Reif was our producer. And he uh, he was another big help, you know. So we kind of were all very new to the studio. Uh, we were very naive, green. And we had these kind of people that, you know, had done it once or twice before. And some professionals came in and... You know, Brian helped uh, rewrite the lyrics for me uh, for Gory Departure demo. And um, if you really listen to the tape, he sings with me in a lot of spots uh, because I just really wasn't too sure of myself. And he's like, well, I'll sing with you. And, you know, maybe that'll help you out with confidence and all that. So, yeah, it was it was definitely a, a big help uh, for us developing the band. And then, you know, and then once that demo was done... Then it was like, then I really started to kind of see how things, you know, were done. And and, and then I just kind of started developing my my style and, uh, uh, you know, how I wanted to do things. Okay. And I noticed, um, according to the internet, according to Metallum, Jeff Yeager was involved again in Mortis Gold when you reformed the band in 2012, briefly? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, Jeff was in the band... Uh, for the Prolong the Agony demo. Um, so he helped write those three songs. Um, he actually helped write another song called Eternal Suffering that we did for Earache that never got released. Um, but then after he left the band, uh, when Kent Truckenbrode came on, Kent redid the song with us and he kind of changed it a little bit. But yeah, Jeff, uh, I think he wrote the three songs, the Eternal Suffering, and I think we wrote like two other songs. So yeah, we wrote a handful of songs with Jeff. Um, and then he ended up leaving. Uh, Kent ended up joining the band. Um, and then later on, it was about 2011, uh, Eric Reif and I were discussing about 
putting out the, the demos again uh, on Relapse. And uh, we did this compilation called Through the Eyes of Death. And Eric's like, yeah, yeah, you should get the band back together. And I was like, yeah, that's just you know part of that chapter. Of my you know that chapter of my life is over. You know, I'm moving into this next one. Um, in between the time Mortar Skull broke up, though, and that compilation, I was in a band called Nine Millimeter Solution, which was kind of more of like a kind of like a, a heavy, friendly radio uh, metal. Some people say it's new metal because there was some singing in the vocals, but I, when you look at the definition of new metal, I, I hear singing, turntables, rapping, and we just had a little bit of singing, so it is what it is. But yeah, so I mean, I kept busy, and then once that band uh, decided to go its way, uh, you know, I was I. Eric just kept bo- he just kept bugging me. Like I'd say every yeah, come on, come on, and I'm like, you know what? I got nothing to do. I'm like, screw it, you know. So I contacted a couple of the um, all the guys that were in the band uh, back in the day. Uh, so Jeff Yeager, uh, Jason Hellman, uh, Kevin Zeitler, which was on the Gory Departure demo, uh, not on the Prolong, but he was on Gory Departure. We uh, he decided to come back for a little bit too. So yeah, it was kind of a nostalgic, uh, like kind of you know regrouping in 2011 and then it went from 2011 into 2012 okay so that so that um uh demo collection on relapse you would say was instrumental uh in the band reforming in a lot of ways right it definitely was a catalyst absolutely okay we have to we we do have a few uh listener questions Sure. Um, for you, and you, and we, you kind of inadvertently answered one because listener Adam oh. Moore asked, "How did the Relapse Records reissue compilation of the first two Mortis Gold demos uh, come together in 2011, and how instrumental was this in the band reforming?" So, thank you to Adam Moore um, for asking that question. We hope that that satisfies your question. And well, and, and uh, maybe get a little bit more in depth with that with Adam is we. What really happened was is that even before we even released that, Eric Reif was like, hey, I'd really like those songs on CD. And all I had were the cassette tapes. So he sent us into the studio, and we threw them on cassette. And then all of a sudden, a couple months went by, and Jeff Yeager got a hold of me, and he's like, hey, I got these master tapes. And uh, I really think, you know, you know, there were some small little screw-ups here and there. And he's like, I really think I can, you know, make these, make, maybe even sound better, you know. So me and him went back in the studio at least two or three more times because we kept discovering all these master tapes. And we're like, oh, crap, now we got, you know, now we found this one, you know. And so we had to go back in. You know, we wanted it all to sound the same and sound good volume-wise and everything and mix. So, yeah, so Jeff and I spent a lot of time on uh, in and out of the studio getting those things to, uh, you know, get to where they were. And uh, at that point, that's when Eric Greif was like, hey, why don't we release these on, you know, on Relapse? And I was like, yeah, that's cool, you know, and uh, did a video for it. And, uh, yeah, and, it, and then, you know, of course, led to the reformation. Okay, and uh, while we're uh, on the, in this era of the band and also with the listener questions, another uh, is Cody Hager wants to know the band name inspiration uh, in the first place. Well, you know, it, it wasn't uh, actually Brian Deneff comes back into the, to the play mm-hmm. again here. Um, he he had a list of names because you know he's like delayed stress. That's not going to work. You know you're a death metal man, uh, and he just had a list of names. He came up with the name, and I he just read off the names to me, and I hated every name he had except for that one. I was the only, I was like, dude, that one rings a bell. And it's funny because if you go and you look up the meaning of Morta Skull, Morta meaning Greek for death, Skull is kind of a Norse mythology. But when you kind of put them together, it's really about the beginning of life versus living life versus the ending of life. 
So it's kind of like the cyclical uh, span of of all of our lives, like human lives, you know. So kind of the spinning of the thread, the cutting of the thread, the you know, kind of the, the fates, the, the three fates, the witches. Uh, kind of a lot of different meanings, but overall, when people ask me uh, and the research, because we actually had to go to a college and uh, back in the uh, early early '90s to figure out what the meaning was, and yeah, it's all about like the, the fates. It's all about you 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 being born and then these fates deciding your future. Um, so I usually I like to say it's it's about the beginning of life through the end. Okay. Wow. That's um. That's deep. I, to be honest, I, I was—I I never knew what it meant, but that's that's a great answer. It does sound sick. I'd probably pick that if I was in your situation too. <laughs> <laughs> like moving on now to, you know, I know uh, as I said from um, other interviews you've done that that second prolong the agony demo is what actually got you guys signed to Peaceville, right? Yes. And I noticed something interesting though in the uh, in the Metallum that in '92 there's a tape that came that that's credited as coming out. With Mortis Gold, Doctor Shrinker, Ripped, and Phantasm. You know anything about that? No, I don't. Okay, maybe, sometimes there's like bootlegs, and who knows, like tape, oh, yeah. something well, like, I like know, a, a tape I trader. Know, you know? I, I know that us and Doctor Shrinker did. We both did songs for Eerie uh, back in like '91, I think it was. Mm-hmm. But I don't know anything about the Phantasm part of it. So yeah, it could be. I, I I see that all day long. You know, people are messing. Hey, this guy's bootlegging your stuff. You know, and I'm like, yeah. You know, sometimes you can do something about it. Sometimes you can't. It could also just be something a tape trader maybe made, and somebody exactly. you know, Metallum. Sometimes people just enter different things. But what I wanted to ask you is about. Uh, I personally am not familiar with Ripped. I don't know that band. But Doctor Shrinker and Phantasm are both kind of very cult classic Wisconsin bands, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of Phantasm's The Abominable uh, uh, album from many years ago, man. Did you guys play shows with them and uh, interact with them yeah. a lot through the years? Yeah, yeah, we, we played shows. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we played a lot of shows because um, you know, our style was a little different than theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so we, we tended to play with a little bit more, like, different, like, style bands. Um, but we did play with them on and off. Um, I mean, all the bands did, you know. I mean, it was... It was this big explosion of like, holy crap, you know, like, you know, everybody had, everybody had a demo. Everybody's demo sounded great. I mean, everybody was just doing great. It was just a great, I, I think it was just an awesome time to, to be in a death metal band. And especially at that time and period, um, it just was like, yeah, you could do no wrong. You know, people just love the music and it was, it's just a great, just a great time for death metal in my opinion. Uh, and well, when we talk about that time, and we talk about your uh, region, um, I, I guess you know, it, in my personal opinion, as a listener, it seems like there's uh, an element of uh, of uh, like maybe doom, or just how obituary was was well known for drawing songs out with a slower tempo at times. And I heard you mention something in a previous interview that the first album. Uh, the, for, the first Mortis Skull album, Dying Remains, uh, was influenced in some ways by European bands that had some of that doomy atmosphere. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we were we were really influenced. You know, the bass player and I were really the ones that, you know, kind of started the band, so to speak. I mean, I, I started it, but, you know, he was kind of like right there with me. And we, uh, yeah, I mean, we're just, I, I remember it really distinctively, too, because we were just starting to get into listening to death metal and i remember 
uh, you know, Eric Greif was like, hey, you got to go and, you know, get this record and that record, you know. And I remember us going with uh, my bass player's mom because she was so supportive. And she's like, let's go to the store, you know. And it's like, here's the Pestilence. And, you know, I mean, my, my very first <laughs> exposure to death metal was leprosy when I was working at a record store. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, like, this is just amazing. And it really that was really a pivotal change for me was listening to that record and going okay now i know what i want to do but yeah other than that no every, we, we just we just we just got obituary slowly we rot we got you know consuming existence by pestilence and uh, uh sadist and you know i mean testament and just all this different stuff and we just kind of soaked it up like sponges but i know that's kind of a bad thing for europe you know the european reference but we also were into like entombed and um, I'm Grave and uh, Bolt Thrower, uh, Paradise Lost. Paradise Lost was a huge influence on me when I first started playing this style of music. So we were, and a lot, and some of the bands were on Peaceville, like Autopsy, Paradise Lost, and those were bands that we just loved. And so we were so influenced by the music, you know, I think we just kind of wore it on our sleeve. And, you know, that first record is just so. It's raw. It's just raw. It's naive. It's it's just you know, it just we just did what felt right, and I think that's why those influences come out so much on that record. Yeah, um, and and the the kind of flip side of that question that I wanted to ask you, but I found it very interesting, especially in going back and reviewing both albums, both of the first two albums in the Ritual Madness podcast interview. You spoke about how you actually left Morta Scold for a period of time between the first and second album. And there was a big part of the second album that was written without your input in a different tuning. Is that all correct? Yes. Yeah, we, we, Dime Remains had come out and we kind of, it was kind of like me, like I wanted to keep going that way. I still wanted to write European. And the other three guys were kind of like, eh, we want to kind of Americanize it a little bit, you know, and the guitar player at that time, Jason O'Connell, was listening to a lot of Malevolent Creation, so he was hell-bent on sounding like Malevolent Creation, as where I was like, eh, I just want to keep going the way we're going. And we just kind of had a falling out, and I was like, well, you know, it's my band. I own the name. I'm out. You know, you guys do what you want to do. And um, I actually went over at that time, uh, and the Biogression guys were on a break, and I asked them if they wanted to be my kind of like my backing band, and they were like, "Yeah, let's do it." So they actually played in the band with me uh, for a couple of months, and we did a bunch of gigs and wrote some songs. I, I wish I would have had those recordings, um, but just being with a different band for a, a little period of time, and you know, they were you know, that drummer was really blasting and stuff like that. Is where Kent was a little more reserved. Uh, was really cool to get that other like dynamic and and you know see what what we could do. Um, and then, you know, they started up again, so they were like, hey, we're going back to our band. So I was without a band, and, um, I had run into the guys at, like, a Halloween party, uh, at, uh, one of the guys, uh, Paul Leganowski, who is no longer with us anymore from, uh, Realm. He was the second guitar player in Realm, and, uh, we're at his house, and I ran into the guys, and they were like, hey, what's going on? like not much what's going on with you and they're like ah we just can't find anybody and i said what do you mean and they're like we can't find anybody to replace you like we can't find anybody that can play guitar well enough and we can't find anybody that can sing well enough so it's like yeah i hear you you know i said i i i didn't have that problem up until like a couple weeks ago 
So they were like, well, you know, why don't you come over to the hall, you know, the jam spot, and why don't you check out what we're working on? And I was like, okay. So I went over there, and they had like eight songs, like just from front to back, just complete. And I was like, yeah. It's like I like some of them, some of them I didn't like. So, yeah, I went through and I picked out the ones that I, I would work on. And then I, I said to them, I said, well, we, we need to write like another six songs as a band. And like kind of how we did on Dying Remains. And they were like, okay. So we kind of you know went into that process of writing uh, six more songs as a band. And then we kind of put their five songs and then the other six songs. And we put those together to uh, to make As, as Humanity Fades. Um, so, yeah, a lot of that stuff was done without me. Um it's not one of my favorite records, to be honest with you. I think maybe it's because I didn't have much involvement except for the six songs. Um, so maybe that's why. But I just didn't. I didn't. I didn't want to tune up. I didn't want to tune up. I didn't want to. You know, I didn't. I didn't want to sound like Malevolent Creation. Not that there's anything wrong with them, because I love Phil. I love the guys. I mean, they're, they're they're friends of ours, and and you know, I love that band. Please, Retribution, forget about it. You know, and we even we even supported them a couple of times in I think. 91 or 92 and they came around and it was like them and cannibal and suffocation and they came around to a couple small towns and we, we you know we were on those on those bills with them and it was just the best of times um but you know yeah to answer your question yeah you know i did leave for a while they went their way and then you know as as it would have it fate kind of brought us back together well it, uh, as, as i said before as a listener it just adds some interesting context to those albums um, and then, you know, thinking about that going forward for, for all eternity comes out in 95. Could you just tell us a little bit about then like the mindset behind that album then? How did you guys, you, you kind of had a weird situation between the first two albums. So for all eternity, what, what's the, the thing there? Are you trying to reconcile the writing process or is it fair to say you already had done that, you know, when you, when you came back together, are you trying to write an album now that's going back to the older style or branch? Like what was the, what was the mindset there? Well, we were, what we were really trying to do is just, you know, really write the best record that we could at that point. Um, this was our third record on Peaceville. So it was the last record of, of our record deal with them. Um, it was the biggest budget we got too. We got like a huge budget. So we kind of thought we were rock stars and, you know, and, oh, we'll block out a studio for a month, you know, and that's all we're going to do, you know? And unfortunately I, I had just started a new job. I was working 12, 13 hour days. Um, so, you know, I would go into the studio after, after I would be done working and tracking and the, my, my only, my only thing about that record was I really didn't like the production. I didn't like the mix. It was kind of muddy. And I think that was because Jason O'Connell was, again, he was listening to Grave at that point, and he wanted to emulate that, and he wanted to emulate Entombed, and uh, he was just experimenting, I think, a little bit too much with uh, guitar amps and sounds. And at that point, like I said, I was working so much, I, you know, I was like, yeah, okay, you know, and really didn't, you know, I, I mean, it sounded good at the time. Um, but yeah, I think we just really came together and just really wrote like, okay, now we're now we're together. Now we can continue what we did before. We can write music together. Um, there was one song, I think, the title track for All Eternity, that was actually from their previous sessions without me. So there was one song. Otherwise, the rest of those, yeah, we, we did write as a group. Um, you know, some guys wrote a little more than others. Um, but, yeah, we just wanted to come back together, and we were like, okay, that's our third record. Let's make it a good one. Um, it's unfortunate that record didn't do better. Um, I, I kind of, at that point, I think the label was just like, 
I don't know where they were at, but I know they really didn't do much with it. And the promotion, there really wasn't much push behind it. So the record kind of came out and it kind of flopped, you know. And it's unfortunate because I think there's some really good songs on that record. Um, you know, Bitter Remembrance is uh, uh, one of my favorites in Vicious Circle. Uh, another one of my favorites. Um, so I think there's really some really missed, uh, some you know, some missed songs on that, you know, uh, as far as the listeners go. Um, but yeah, it was just something we just wanted to kind of be solid and like, okay, this is more to skull. This, you know, we're going to write as a band. We're going to record as a band, uh, you know, and just kind of get, try, try to see if we can get back some of that, some of that old formula. Um, and, and I, I don't feel we did, um, but I mean, but I still think it's a good record. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely, man. Just curious about how that, that, you know, the, 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 the initial um, run of the first three records came together. And, you know, you talk about the, the record not maybe doing as well as expected and where the label was at. But, the, you know, it's 1995. Something we've talked about on the podcast with other bands and other artists is how in the mid to late 90s, death metal does fall out of popularity um, after the big kind of like death metal gold rush of the early 90s, you know. And um, uh, hardcore and new metal and all that sort of stuff starts taking over. Could you tell us, does that in any way impact the band and influence your, your mindset going into Surface, um, uh, which was out on System Shock Records from, from Germany, if I got that right? Yeah, yeah. It was actually, Surface actually, Surface is a kind of a unique thing. I was, somebody just asked me about that. Um, so what happened was, is yeah, you're right. All these different styles of music and grunge and, and hardcore coming in and kind of taking over and you know, I feel like death metal was kind of like, you know, kind of like, you know, hey, you guys can go away, you know. And uh, we actually were like at the point where we had no label. So we were free agents. And we were like, well, let's 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 write four songs and let's go in and do a demo. So we went in uh, with Paul Nevers, uh, the guy who did the last three, you know, did the first four records. And we went in, we did the demo. We came out, we shopped it. We got absolutely like no response. We're like, oh, wow, this this sucks, you know. So... We were like, all right, well, let's, you know, let's give it a little bit. So we gave it a little bit. And then I was like, you know, let's do, let's do, uh, let's write another four songs. So we wrote another four songs and uh, we shot that and we didn't get anywhere. And I was getting, I mean, we were all very frustrated, especially myself. And uh, I was like, you know what? The hell with this. Let's just put the, let's put the four songs and four songs together and let's just do our own record. And we'll release it ourselves. And so uh, Kent and I went down. I think it's. I think it's a. I think it was called Monster Disc. I think in Chicago. And you know everything was recorded. We went down there. They mastered it. I mean, we literally had. We were very hands on. So we were there through the whole process. We mastered it. Um, Chris, uh, Chris from Internal Bleeding actually did the uh, layout for us. Uh, the artwork was done by S. B. Bell, and then Chris did the layout. So we were at this uh, Monster Disc. And they did everything there. They did the layout with you. You know, they did the production of CD. So we, we were laying it out. We were mastering it. We were like, we're going to put it out ourselves. So as soon as that happened, uh, we, you know, we, we get all our discs, you know, and we're like, yeah, this is really cool. It looks good. And then Pavement approaches us and says, hey, we want to pick the record up. And we're like, son of a bitch. <laughs> we just, we just, you know, we just produced a thousand copies and now you're going to put the record out. So they put the record out af after we put out, we put it out ourselves. And then, yeah, System Shock in Germany put it out as well. Mm, okay. um, so it was just a very... And that record, honestly, I like that record a lot. And that record gets so overlooked. Um, and e even even on a purchase standpoint, 
Um, we did have um, Repulsive Echo put that back out a couple years ago. And, like, it just is our worst-selling CD, like, li- like we play out live. Like, nobody really wants to buy it. And I don't understand why, because I think it's a very well-produced record. Um, I think it was... I think that was... We were literally in our prime. Like, we were at our height at that point. All those songs were, like, done really well. Like, they were very well thought out and placed. And it just really... I don't know. It just kind of fell to the wayside. And, uh, like I said, Pavement put it out. I think they did, like, one ad in, like, Hit Parader. And, like, that was it. Hit Parader. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. And another weird thing was is at the end of the recording of Surface, our guitar player had quit. And, like, took his stuff and, like, joined another local band. And we were like, what the hell? So that was kind of the starting point of us having to look for, a you know, a new, a new guitar player at that point. Um, but, yeah, Surface, I, I like Surface a lot. I think there's a lot of really good songs on there. I mean, Killing Machines is one of my favorites, which we still play live. Um, so, yeah, it was a great record. I mean, it is tuned to D standard. Uh, we play in drop A sharp now, so we play it in a different tuning. Um, but it's not to the point where you... You know, like when we play it, you know, you know it's that song. Yeah, I mean, drop A sharp is pretty, pretty low, man. It's yeah, like- yeah, yeah, it really is. And and you know, because well, you know, and Dying Remains was like drop. I want to say like drop C or drop C sharp for Dying Remains, and then as humanity fades for all eternity and surface, we're all D standard. Um. So yeah. So I was like, oh man, you know, like difference in tuning, and right. then uh, yeah, as the years went by and everything else, um. You know, I, I changed my tuning, and uh, when uh, when Mortis Cult started up again, I was just like, it was just real easy to play the older songs because they were all in drop tunings. Glory Departure, Prolonging Agony, Dying Remains, all in drop tunings. So it was real easy to play those songs in a different tuning. And uh, yeah, it's, it's it's low, but I I think it's got a really cool characteristic to it. And when you hear it live, it's like it's just it's mean. You know, it's mean, it's meaty, um, but it's very audible at the same time. For sure. Goes back to some of those European bands that you mentioned, some of those classic old school sounds, you know, from Europe um, that you mentioned in the beginning. Absolutely. Uh, so, well, at that point, one quick question I want to ask, because well, I do want to go go forward um, yeah. and obviously cover cover the, the more current releases, but while we got you in the old school, one last old school question that kind of fits in with the guitar talk we're doing now Um as, as I said, the uh, uh, the Ritual Madness podcast, you spoke about your friend who uh, worked at the record store and was trying out for MOD at the time. He built you a custom guitar as your first guitar, right? Yes. Yeah, I, we you know, we do. Uh, I, I personally don't play guitar, but Tom uh, and uh, Justin do, and a lot of our listeners do, so we always like to ask some of those technical questions. Could you just take us back, flashback to that first guitar, and maybe um, in that in that time and place, how difficult was it to get the parts you needed and what specific customizations did you make to it? Well, you know, I was still pretty naive and, you know, just new to the whole thing. So, I mean, I, I really wasn't very proficient at that point uh, anyways. Um, but yeah, my, my, my buddy, uh, Scott Barger, he just, you know, just tons of passion and he just, I don't know, he was really, really good with like working on guitars and, uh, I think the first thing we did was we ripped out the pickups and we put in EMGs. I've been playing EMGs since day one. I've, I've just since day one. So the first thing we ripped out the EMGs and then we put in a, I don't know what kind of bridge it was. I know it was a stop tail bridge, but I don't know what, what the model was. 
And the parts, no, the parts weren't really that hard to get a hold of. Um, a lot of the music stores around this, you know, around our area sold guitar parts. Um, so I think we changed the tuners out, we changed the bridge out, and then we swapped the pickups out. And that was really all we did. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely my very first guitar, and our real, I should say, real guitar. Um, and uh, I, Scott and I still, we're still buddies to this day. He still helps me out with my guitars. <laughs> um, you know, if I need like a quick tune-up or something, I head over to his house, we drink a few beers, and... You know, he tunes up my guitar for me and stuff. So it's it's great having him uh, as as, a, as such a close friend. You know, 30, 35 years wow. later, um, you know, and just to him him being such an influence and uh, just you know just 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 seeing somebody with that much passion for music. You know, and I mean, he, and he and he still does. He still has the same passion. So that that's that's a long running history for the guy who built your guitar to still be the guy you take it to for a quick tune up. Oh yeah, I still stay in touch with my guitar teacher that I learned from at the conservatory as well so and, and eric reif there's three people that were very pivotal for me doing what i do and those were the three guys wow yeah and, and um uh you know like i said uh we do want to be respectful of your time so we want to move forward no, and, right. and give uh you know proper respect to the, to the more current era of the band um that being said to transition can i just ask respectfully I've heard you mention that in 1998, Mortis Skull did break up, um, and maybe it had something to do with the difficulty with with the drummer. Yeah, yeah, we 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 had got you know, you know, it's a weird thing. Um, we had really never toured ever, and Mortis Skull at that time, we travel like to you know Chicago or Indiana or something like that. You know, not real far, but Midwest. And we'd play different gigs with different people, and you know, I think I think we we uh, I think we opened for Immolation in Chicago a couple times, and you know, just all you know, all these different bands, and I mean, it was, it was a great time. But we never toured. I wanted to tour, but our drummer he he didn't like to travel, and he never really mentioned that to any of us. Like we really didn't know. And then finally, um, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, Jack Koshik, uh, the 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 guy who you know ran all the metal fests. Um, he was our manager, and uh, he had said to us, you know, he goes, hey, I want to put you on his tour. It's supposed to be like two weeks or something, and then it got whittled down to like five or six days. Um, and, and the opening date was was opening for Slayer in our hometown. And we were like, no way. And he's like, yeah. And he goes, you're going to get paid and the whole nine yards. And we're like, wow, this is really cool. So we start, we start you know, the first show here, no problem, and... I think two days later, we were supposed to be in Florida open, uh, supporting Master. And then the next day was like South Carolina to support uh, Six Feet Under. So we were super psyched about this. And as we were driving, because we were on such a tight schedule, we had to drive pretty much straight to Florida, which is like about 22 hours. Uh, and we just kind of noticed like our drummer just kind of started changing. Like something was, you know, I don't know. Like he wasn't feeling good. We were like, well, what the hell, you know? So we get down there, and uh, yeah, he just, like, he was just, like, pretty much passed out or sleeping most of the day, and we didn't really know what was going on. We thought he was dehydrated, so, you know, he started panicking. He wanted to go to the hospital. We take him to the hospital. Uh, they're like, there's nothing wrong with him. He's just a little dehydrated. So, you know, we come back, and there's, you know, about 20, 30 people, and they just wanted to hear, like, one song, and he's just like, no, no, I want to go home. And we're like, what? You know, come on, man. So he's like, no, I want to go home. So we're like sitting there, 22, 22 hours away from home. You know, we're in a rental van. We're in Florida. 
So, I mean, it's like 120 degrees. And we're like, no, nah, man, we got to do this, man. We owe it to the fans, you know? And he just, he just didn't, I, I don't know what was wrong with him. I mean, I know he was newly married and he was expecting his first kid. Uh, so I don't know if that had anything to do with it. But yeah, he just, it just didn't, uh, it didn't work out. And uh, we were pretty devastated because as soon as, as soon as word got out, you know, to, to pavement and, and uh, uh, word got out to, to Jack Koshik and word got out to every, yeah. They were like, okay, forget this band, you know? So everybody just kind of dropped us like a hot potato. Um, and uh, it, it was awful. It was awful. It was awful to come home to, you know, getting a letter from your label saying, hey, we're not we're not going to support you anymore. And, you know, and I mean, Jack was nice enough to give us money to, you know, to rent the van and then uh, give us a, a, a tour, a tour um, what do you call it, um, a manager. So, yeah, it was really unfortunate. And uh, it was a hard thing to come home to. And we actually came home and we actually kept working with the, with the, with Kent. We still kept working with him because we were like, you know, at that time we were all for one, one for all. It's a completely different story now in today's day and times. But back then we were, you know, one for all, all for one. And we thought maybe he'd buck up and turn around. And uh, wow. no, he just, we ended up writing a couple more songs, which I have no idea whatever happened to those, which I wish I had those. Um, but we wrote a couple more songs. It was kind of getting more into that morbid angel kind of vein and uh he just up and quit the band and just said he wanted to be a family man and that that ended the band at that point because we could not find anybody to drum because everybody wanted to play nirvana soundgarden you know uh hatebreed uh nobody wanted to play double bass anymore um you know we held out for like, probably about a year and just nothing was happening so i just told the bass player i'm like you might as well you know fleetwood mac go your own way bro because you got more opportunities than I do in this town. And, you know, I just, it, you know, I, I auditioned for a couple of local bands that didn't go well and just ended up like, okay, well, what do I know how to do best? Start my own band again. And so that's what I did. I started a brand new band out of nothing and kind of built that up to where it went. And, you know, it was, it was unfortunate. It was unfortunate because, I mean, like I said, I think, I think us not touring definitely hurt the band. And, um, no, yeah, but it did hurt the record uh, surface. It really, it, it 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 hurt that record a lot. Wow, that that's wild. And I should mention just for the listeners to remind them, uh, those first four albums, uh, it was all with the same lineup with that drummer, uh, right? And, and the same everybody, right? Yeah, it was it was uh, yeah, it was me, Jason, Jason, and Kent, and um, Paul Nevers. Uh, he was our studio engineer, and he did all four records. Yep. So, so yeah. So not only the same lineup, but the same, the same producer as well. So. Okay. So, and we know that you went on to be in uh, Nine Millimeter Solution, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and that was a little bit more of a thrash kind of groove oriented metal band, right? Um. No, it was more. It was more groove, new metal kind of type. You know. It was kind of, it was like, you know, I always compared it to like a, like a Static X kind of meets a little bit of Fear Factory type band. Okay. And, and did you guys, did you get to go touring with that band? Yes, we did. We put out two records. Um, the second record, which is called The Dream is Dead. Uh, that's on, that was on Rock Ridge Records. Um, yeah. Yeah. We put two records out and then we were able to tour with that band. So, um, and, and it went well. It, it went well. You know, um, it just... Again, like anything else, you know, you you have certain people that you know want to do certain things, and uh, you know, it's just not in the it's just not in the realm of what maybe I wanted to do or the whole band wanted to do. Um, so, yeah, we we definitely definitely did a successful tour, and 
We had a lot of really successful shows. I mean, we, we, we supported uh, Damage Plan once. We supported Hell Yeah, I think, once or twice. Um, Five Finger Death Punch we supported a bunch of times. So, um, yeah, we did really well with that record. Um, but, you know, I think I think that band, you know, it, it, it was something for me to do in my downtime. And, you know, I mean, we, we did take it very serious, though. Um, but it just was, it really wasn't received by the death metal community very well at all. Um, not at all. Well, not at all. Totally different I used to, style. I used to get really nasty emails. <laughs> well, yeah, people like Morta Skold fans that that really resented yeah. that. Oh man. Oh yeah. They're like, dude, this isn't Morta Skold. Sounds like shit. Or you know, or you guys suck. You know, what are you doing? Where's your head at? You know, there's all kinds of stuff. So, which you know, which I understand. You know, you you, you take a band that's eight years. We did four records in eight years. I mean, that's really quick. Yeah. And. We did some really good stuff, I feel, and the fans just, you know, they weren't, they didn't want to let it go, you know, and, and, I, and I can completely understand that. Would you say that being in 9mm Solution and uh, playing those type of shows showed you a different type of the music industry um, that you could compare and contrast to the underground death metal scene? Oh, completely, completely. The, the, um, the scene that or i should say the genre that nine millimeter solution was in was way different it was all about buying on the tours and buying this and you know and, and, and i don't I'm, I'm not trying to crap on anybody but when you see a band come out of nowhere and you're like wow who are these guys nine out of ten times they paid a crap load of money to get there money can get you very far in the music industry and, you know, I, I've heard of some bands uh, like, hey, we were offered the corn tour. You know, it was only, you know, how much, you know, oh, the buy-in was, you know, 20 grand or 30 grand or, you know, whatever. Or, you know, we were promised this, but we got to shell out, you know, 10,000 for, a, a you know, a, a developmental deal or something like that. So it, it, it was definitely a different side of the business. And I, I mean, I embraced it because I was in it at that point, but I didn't like it. I felt death metal was more pure. I felt it was more respected. Um, you know what I mean? It, it was. It, I just think. I just think the the uh, the other genre that I was in was just more like. Um, it was more about radio play. It was more about you know making a video, getting hits, uh, stuff like that. And it was just more of you know it was just more. Um, it was kind of it was more dressed up so to speak like. A lot of the bands like that, you know, they'd have this image on stage or they'd come out and they'd be dressed up a certain way. And then, you know, backstage, you know, they're wearing, you know, slippers and, you know, a pair of jogging pants or something. You know, it was just just different. I mean, we we, we even to embrace it, we wore suits on stage uh, because we had we had some advice from our producer at the time. He's like, oh, you should wear a suit, set yourself apart, be different. And what's really funny about that is if you look back to the 50s, all bands wore suits in the 50s. Even even into the '60s, I mean, look some of the old Stones and the old Beatles stuff. They all wore suits, yeah. and then even up into the current times, um, there were a couple of new metal bands. Or one, or no, Motley Crue. I think they took pictures with suits on, and uh, uh, not the Knack. I can't remember that one band. Not the Knack, but even them in the early '80s, they wore suits when they played. So it was just something we thought we'd do, um, you know, to maybe boost that. You know, oh, hey, let's look at these guys instead of us wearing you know our favorite band shirts and stuff. We wanted to set ourselves apart and look different. Um, and I think it worked to, to a certain extent. 
Um, but that business, yeah, a lot different, a lot different than, than, than the genre of death metal, completely different. So during that time, we know that you reformed the band in 2012, and I have a few questions about that. But during that time, did you, uh, quote-unquote, keep in touch with the death metal scene? Were you following the developments in death metal and grindcore and so, things, so to speak, and the climate of the scene? You know, you know, and this is, this is it's funny. It's a, I'm glad you asked that because, no, I didn't. I literally was like, okay, I'm, in, I'm into this, this newer style of metal. Uh, you know, I, was, I'm, I just I started listening to a lot of Static X and a lot of radio friendly bands, and I guess I guess the reason why I did that was to listen to absorb it to to put it to use. So where you know what I mean? So I, I knew where Nine Mill wanted to go, and I used all of that like as a resource to to get us to where we wanted to go. And it was unfortunate because we were we were getting kind of close, but as soon as we got to that point, that style of music was already on its way out. So no, I didn't listen. I didn't listen to any. The only death metal I really continue to listen to is the classics. Like death, uh, death will always be in my rotation. Uh, Morbid Angel, Bolt Thrower, Entombed, just the classics. I always, I never stop listening to the classics. But no, I did not go venture out into the newer bands, grindcore. I didn't venture out into any of that at that point. That, well, see, that's interesting because, like we mentioned before, in the late 90s, death metal has a big decline in popularity, um, hardcore, new metal, and then later on, like, metalcore and screamo and whatever you want to call it kind of takes over through the early 2000s. But in 2012, when you reform Mortis Gold, that's kind of like the beginning of this era we're in now, where I call it the death metal renaissance, where you have tons of people in their teens and 20s who have kind of recharged death metal by not only appreciating the old school, but by forming their newer bands now. Do you see that? And did you see that when you came back to the scene? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know that's a great, you know, a great example of that is when Obituary, because like you know they never stopped. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you listen to some of the records like uh, I, I can't think. Of, I'm trying to think off off like I mean, Incomplete was awesome. Well, you listen to some of the the records in between the end complete and and the last uh, two, I think, Inked and Blood and, and their self titled one. You listen to that, and it's like, you know, I, I really can't help but say I think a lot of the death metal bands that were still plugging away maybe didn't feel inspired, you know, because you know because the music was changing so much, and there was all these, like you said, hardcore and, and screamo and metalcore, and and I think a lot, I think there was a lot of uh, inspiration kind of maybe taken away. And then all of a sudden, when Obituary came out, came with that that first record, which, yeah, it's like two, two, three, yeah, two records ago, I believe. Uh, their self-titled. I was like, oh my god, like you just you just heard the inspiration. You heard you you heard you felt the passion. It was like it was like they got something back. And then all of a sudden, you hear, you know, uh, Immolation, their new record, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all the bands that started reforming again and putting out records, like you could just feel that inspiration and passion coming back. So. I think by death metal slowly resurging, I think it did help the bands. I think it helped all of us, you know, because I mean, you know, it's like anything else. We're, you know, how do you draw from inspiration where there is none, or how do you draw from, uh, you know, uh, uh, upbeatness or positivity when there is none? It's so hard. So I mean, those bands plugged away and they tried, and then I think somewhere along the line, with the scene kind of becoming more fruitful again, and people wanting 
to listen to death metal. I'm wanting their their favorite bands to put out releases. I just feel like it gave everybody kind of a, a jump start, you know. And I felt it kind of like gave everybody a new, fresh, like transfusion of blood. Hmm. Well, well, that's a great segue there because now I want to get into um, a, 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 another another kind of classic Wisconsin uh, death metal band, if I'm not mistaken, Jungle Rot um, from Wisconsin, right? Yeah. And the, uh, uh, Eric House, who's uh, your current drummer since you reformed the band, I got that right. He's been with you guys since 2012, right? Yeah, he's he's been with me like at the eight or nine years already now. Yeah, yeah, he yeah he was he was in uh, he was in Jungle Rot. Um, yeah, before before Mortiskull, yes. Okay, yeah. So he's got that kind of Wisconsin old school pedigree to him. Um, even, even though listening to your most recent album, he sounds like one of these like 18 year old kids. That's like a blast beat a holic. Uh, but that's that's a whole nother story. And I know you got Jason Hellman from the original lineup back originally in 2012, too. And you guys recorded the Serving Two Masters EP. Could you just kind of take me through reforming the band? Like, when does it spark sure. in your head that Mortis Gold has to come back and then kind of take us through until you record that EP? Sure. So, you know, the the demo lineup was together for a while in 2011, 2012. And we played, I don't know, about maybe six, seven shows. And, um, you know, they all went real well. Um, and then I think one of the last shows, um, the Death to All tour had come through Chicago. And uh, Eric Greif, of course, you know, he handles all the death reissues and all the relapse stuff for Chuck and his estate. So I knew he was putting that tour together. And I said to him, I said, uh, uh, I said, you know what? I said, we really want, we want to do that show. And uh, he was like, oh, yeah. And uh, I said, yeah, I said, we'd really love to be on that. So that was that was one of our, our last shows, uh, uh, you know, with that demo lineup. And I and as we were playing the demo songs, I was hearing people yell out like surface and dying remains. And I'm like, oh, crap, like we don't know any of those songs. Hmm. So long story short, the demo lineup, you know, came and went. And we're sitting around going like, well, what are we going to do? So uh, basically, uh, you know, Eric. Uh, we were we were auditioning people, and uh, Eric at, at, at first when we uh, at first we asked Eric to join. He he was too busy with his work and stuff like that. He was working at the time, and he couldn't he couldn't he couldn't do anything. And then a couple months went by, and he's like, "Hey, you still looking for somebody?" We're like, "Yeah." So he came in, and he joined the band, and then we were looking for a guitar player, and uh, we found this uh, local cat wasn't doing too much, so we saw him, and he you know decided to join the band and. We started, you know, learning some of the demo tunes and stuff. And then I said, you know, I'd really like to venture out. And one of the main reasons of why Jeff Yeager, uh, not not why he left the band, but, you know, I was trying to, we were trying to play some Dying Remain songs with him. And he just, you know, he had some health issues and some real bad things happen to him. I mean, God God bless him. Uh, and he just didn't have the stamina to do some, some of these songs that I wanted to do off of Dying Remains. So... When Eric joined the band, Eric's like, sure, what song you want me to play? I'm like, what? He's like, what What song you want me to play? And I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, I'll play any song. I'm like, wow, like this guy's crazy. So, you know, we started working with Eric. And then we just, you know, we, we played like I think a show or two. And then it was like, I said to the guys, I said, hey. I said, you know, I've been dicking around playing all this demo stuff for like the last year and a half. I says, you know... Maybe, maybe we should let's, let's test the waters. Why don't we write? Why don't we write a couple of new songs, 
and then we'll re-record like two old songs. And everybody's like, yeah, all right, you know, cool, cool. So we started the writing process of Serving Two Masters, and we, we, wrote, we wrote the three original songs. And then um, we did a lot of it ourselves, though. <coughs> Excuse me. We, we recorded a lot of the tracks in our, in our, you know, practice space and stuff like that. And then we went into, I went into a real studio, though, to do the vocals and to mix and master. So we put that together and we released it as an EP on Dread Records just to test the waters. And people, like, really responded. Like, even still to this day, they're like, how come you guys don't play anything off of Serving Two Masters? And I'm like, eh. It's just that it's there's just you know it just doesn't interest us at this point because I feel like we're writing much better songs at this point. Um, but yeah, we get a lot of requests to play the, the title track and uh, "Destroy Us," which is another song off there, which I do like both of those songs. Um, but yeah, you know, we just uh, we just wanted to test the waters, we wanted to see where it would go, we want to see if the fans were receptive. You know, we thought before we embark on this major, you know, writing of a new record or whatever, let's just see where, where the, you know where the, where the where the fans are at. So we released it on Dread Records, and it did pretty well. Um, and you know, people were kind of digging the new material. So that kind of sparked us off, like, hey, maybe we're onto something. Maybe we should look into writing another record. Okay, and, and you would eventually write Wounds Deeper Than Time, um, which came out again on P on back working with Peaceful again in, in 2017. I believe between the EP and Wounds Deeper Than Time, if I got it correct, um, original bass player Jason Hellman leaves and is yes. repla replaced by AJ uh, Lewandowski, if I got his name right. Uh-huh. And some of the listeners might recognize AJ. He's got like a YouTube channel. He's kind of a prolific bass player. Uh, yes, can can Cannibalistic Zombie. He was... Um uh, he toured Decrepit Birth for a little bit, and a couple of um, another band, um, Defeated Sanity. I think he toured with as well. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. bad, not bad. No, no, no slouch, dude. That guy, man, and that guy's just such a stupid player, man. Like, God, that guy is so <laughs> just, just stupidly good. I mean, just stupidly good. It's just really, you know, you know. And he wasn't much of a writer. I mean, he could, but he wasn't much of a writer on Wounds. Um, and what's really weird is, like, right before he left, he started writing, like, a lot of music. Or not a lot, but he started writing some stuff on the Suffer for Nothing. So I was like, ah, man, like, here you write, and then you leave, you know? Yeah, well, you know, these these young prolific guys, they always got to sow their wild oats, man. Exactly. Um, and, and that's also, that's an interesting connection, because Defeated Sanity is a band that's associated more with the newer school of, like, hyper-technical, kind of progressive. Yeah. Exactly. Death metal. So that's that's an interesting correlation there uh, for the listeners. But I do got to mention, I know um, your uh, current bass player, John Hill, who performed on Suffer for Nothing. He was actually kind of filling in live for a period of time, right? Like he's not he's not as new to the band as people might think. No, no, no. Actually, John's been with us since 2017, mm -hmm. and um, he, you know, AJ AJ's great dude. Uh, uh, very introverted. Um, he really didn't want to tour at all, and we had gotten these opportunities like California Death Fest, which of course he, he played on. He played with us, uh, Maryland Death Fest. He played, and he just kind of was like, you know, I really don't want to travel as much. And so we were like, okay. So we were like, well, hey, we know this other guy. You know, would you mind if we bring him in to take care of the traveling and touring duties? And he was like, no, no problem. So yeah, we worked with John Hill. 
uh, a little, yeah, in 2017, he did the tour, and then he would fill in for different pockets, uh, like when AJ didn't want to do stuff. Uh, he would just fill in for him at that point. And then, then AJ finally, like, quit the band. It was, like, January. I can't remember what year. Maybe it was 2018. Jan- uh, and he just was like, yeah, he goes, I just, you know, I just, you know, I want to really, I just, I, I want to do my own thing. And, you know, he wanted to focus on school and work. And we were like, no problem. And uh, that's when John Hill became a full-time member. And I love John. I mean, John's a great guy. He's a great tour dog. Um, he was in various punk bands back in the day and just, you know, real down and dirty tours and stuff. And uh, he's just a great traveler, man, you know, and he's just real easygoing and great guy to get along with. And he's, he's a talented guy. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, to, to fill AJ's shoes, absolutely. And um, uh, season for the road is, is a, a good thing, too. Now, we know in 2020 you put out Suffer for Nothing. Like a lot of bands that put out albums that year, you were kind of cheated of the opportunity to tour and promote it because of COVID, right? Yes. Yeah, you, you, again, I don't, you know, I don't want to sound redundant, but I also don't want to put out a podcast where I'm asking you to tell the same story. And that Ritual Madness podcast, you did a great job of relaying a lot of that information, and you've done several podcasts since. Um, but what I wanted to ask you now is with things opening up, uh, we see show announcements here and there. Yeah, and then, of course, the Jungle Rod show, which is going to be in our uh, state capital, Madison. Um, and then uh, October 1st, we're going to be in Ohio. Uh, and that's uh, a local show uh, with uh, Transplant Productions, which is a great guy. Puts on great shows. Um, and then we do have a tour booked in October. Uh, the 16th through the 30th, and that's going to go from the Midwest all the way to the East Coast. Mm. Um, uh, we're, we're finalizing a couple of dates. I know we're waiting. On, we're waiting on somebody to finalize New York for us. Um, but yeah, it's you know Philly, New York, DC. Um, I think Atlanta, Georgia, and so we're, we're we're hoping we're hoping everything goes through because you know you read the news now and you know they're talking about they want to lock everybody back down again and lock things up and this and that and so. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really hoping that all these shows happen. I know our European tour uh, for this October obviously got thrown over to next year um, due to all the, um, you know, the the not knowing, you know, the inconsistencies and not knowing what's going to happen. Um, so we're hoping that next year, though, that we do get to go on our European tour. Um, we're on quite a quite a few amazing uh, festivals, uh, and then after we do like. Uh, the first couple of days of festivals, it's going to be the rest is going to be like a small tour. So we're really, really hoping that uh, that that happens. Would that be uh, your your has more to scold been to Europe in the past? Yes, we in 2019, I believe it was early 19. Yeah, it's been two years. We were uh, we did um, um, Netherlands Death Fest. Oh, OK. And then we did the Czech Republic Open Air Fest called Symbolic. Oh, okay. so yeah. Wow, cool. And great and great response. Great response. Those fans have been waiting 30 years to see us. And, you know, like you can I, I love the way you said we got robbed because we did. I mean, Suffer for Nothing came out. We haven't been able to promote it. Mm-hmm. Um, we did, we did a local show like two weeks ago. And that's about all we've been able to do since. There was no promotion behind it. You know, we did do some YouTubing. We, we came up with our own YouTube channel and we did a. We did not a live stream, but we filmed ourselves live uh, at a venue uh, up in our home, uh, up in Green Bay in Wisconsin here. Uh, 
and we put that on our YouTube page. You know, we just did like six, seven songs. Um, you know, a couple different camera angles and stuff, just to just to get people, just tell people, like, hey, we're still here, we're still here. <clears throat> um, didn't really get the, the greatest views, or I guess the views I would like. Um, but I mean, it still showed people, like, hey, we're still around. Um, you know, we're, we're we're trying to we're trying to bring stuff to you guys. Um, you know, we 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 I knew a lot of bands did live streaming thing and, and did really well with them, but I just don't know if we would have done well, you know, that that way. Um, you know, the production of putting on a, a streaming podcast is just astronomical. Um, you know, like Obituary did one, and or did a couple. They did a great job at that. Um, I just watched the Anthrax one a couple weeks ago, and that was amazing too. Um, so we're really hoping, though, yeah, that we can get back out here. We can promote Suffer for Nothing and show you that this record is is really you know good. We enjoyed making it. I I think it's one of our best records. Um, we have a little bit of a jump start on the next record already, you know, with all the downtime we've had. So, you know, I'm, I'm really crossing my fingers that things do get better for, for us and for the fans. Yeah, for, for everybody, man, of course. And um, just speaking of Suffer for Nothing, your latest album on Peaceville Records, it came out in 2020, like we said. It's your second full-length album since getting the band back together. Could you just take us into a little bit of the inspiration or the writing process, maybe what was different this time around. Um, in my person, just what I got out of it, my ears as a fan, it sounded a little bit uh, faster and more aggressive. Was there? Yeah. Was, was that a conscious yeah. effort? Yeah, well, you know, I got to segue back to Wounds because in Wounds, we had um, we had the we had the Serving Two Masters lineup on Wounds, uh, uh, or that's, you know, we had started to write Wounds deeper than time, and it was with that lineup. And at that point, uh, Jason was just, I don't know, there was, he, he, there's some stuff going on in his life. And, you know, he, you know, it was, it was just time for us to part ways, you know. And then that's when, H, you know, a segue enter uh, AJ Lewandowski. And then, uh, of course, uh, Scott came back. Uh, Scott was in the band in 1998 when we did Slayer and we tried to do the tour and all that. So Scott had a real good... Uh, He's had a real good feel about what Mortar Skull was about, the sound, and everything else. So when he came into the fold, we, we had like probably three or four, no, maybe, maybe four or five songs written, um, you know, and, and uh, I think Jason Jason had a hand with uh, one or two songs, and then we, the guitar player at the time, uh, wrote a couple of riffs, and we were like, all right, fine, you know. And then AJ came in, Scott came in, and then we wrote like another four or five songs to finish the record off, and then that was the, the lineup we recorded with. And then we went in to suffer for nothing. Uh, like I said, AJ started writing. We're like, oh, this is really cool. Like he's, you know, he's writing some really cool stuff. And he'd come up with a riff, and I'd be like, yeah, that's really cool. I think I'm gonna add on to it, you know, or whatever. And you know, he just, it was like I think two or three songs on suffer for nothing. He, you know, had a couple of riffs in there, and you know, things were just going really, really well. Um, you know, and Scott was writing, and I was writing, and then Eric even. Uh, uh, even, even Eric uh, had a couple of riffs on Wounds, and then Eric uh, House brought in a couple of riffs uh, for uh, for Suffer for Nothing too. And the thing is with Eric, um, Eric likes different tempos, um, and this is something that him and I have discussed many times before. Because I'll bring a song to the table, and if it's the same tempo as let's say, like, like let's say we're in like the cycle we're in now, we're in the next album cycle. If I bring a tempo. That's, that's the same tempo as any of the other songs, it's like, no. Because he wants the dynamics. He wants that change. You know, he wants to, when you put on that record, you're like, oh, wow, this song, and oh, whoa, whoa that song. You know, we, we don't want them all to sound the same. 
And so with Suffer for Nothing, Eric really, I feel like he really opened up on that record a lot. You know, like he really, you know, I've never, I never tell my guys how to write or what to write or, you know, uh, if somebody brings a riff to the table, I don't like it. I'll be like, yeah, you know, or same with me. I may bring a riff to the table. Yeah, we don't like that. You know, whatever. But I've never told anybody how to play, what to play. Uh, and Eric just really felt, I, I think, I think just felt he felt really more comfortable. Um, the drumming you hear, you know, on Wounds as well, but more so on Suffer for Nothing, that is Eric House. That is his style. That is him. And it's unfiltered. And, uh, and if you listen to Suffer for Nothing, I think it's got that good combination. I think it's got a lot of good blast parts, <clears throat> excuse me, and it's got a lot of really good groove rhythm parts. Um, so I just think the mindset, you know, like I said, so you have AJ, he's kind of departing at this point, but he's like peppering in a little riff here and there. And then me and Eric and, you know, we're working on stuff together and Scott's throwing in stuff and everybody's just kind of working together. And I just think the album came together like very, very well. And it just got to the point where we're like, okay, we have these songs, we solidify. Matter of fact, we needed one more song before we went in the studio. And I, I came up with uh, Divide the Soulless. That was one of the last songs written, probably probably maybe two, three months before we went in. Um, so that was like a really brand, brand new song. Um, but just I just felt all the songs had like a different uniqueness to them. And yeah, the aggression, it was funny because I asked John Hill, I said, hey, I said, what do you think about the new songs on Suffer For Nothing compared to like, you know, what you've been playing for the past two years? And the first thing he said was aggressive. That was, he's like, they're just more aggressive. And, and I don't know where it comes from, Maybe it's just, you know, you progress as a band and then everybody's kind of like in line at the same time um, type thing. And yeah, I just think the songs were definitely more aggressive and they, there was a lot more blasting and there's a lot more like intricate changing. And uh, it just I just think it was something that we all work towards, uh, you know, as, as a common goal. Um, but I do think it's a really good record and I, I appreciate you noticing the difference between wounds because i i think wounds is a great record too but i think wounds is a little bit more laid back compared to suffer for nothing oh uh, yeah definitely different dynamics there and um that kind of catches us up to modern uh the modern era and you, you know you're talking about how you guys are working on new material hopefully these tours pan out and people can get back to uh being more productive touring and, and that sort of thing um i want to give you the opportunity to plug anything that we didn't talk about or any you know reissues and that sort of thing at the end but uh before we conclude the interview we always ask the guests to recommend one older and one newer album by any artist they like but i am going to tag on to that we have one last listener question for you um from matt he says the midwest has always been a breeding ground for an especially filthy kind of death metal what are some of the best current bands from the area that fans of Mortis Gold might dig? What are some of the lesser-known bands we might have missed? So we always ask you to recommend one classic older album and one newer album you're into. But maybe uh -huh. before you do that, you could kind of just give us like a little, you know, some some cool stuff from your area that's out now and some cool stuff from your area that should have gotten more shine back in the day, if you could. Oh, wow. That's that's woof. That's crazy because I, I don't I feel like I'm kind of so involved in my in, in, in my band that I don't <laughs> I don't venture out much. Mm -hmm. um, I would have to say I mean you know when you say me like you're talking like local in our area. 
Well, yeah, he, he's talking about, um, the, he said the Midwest in general. And before yeah. I was taught, I, I kind of called it like the Great Lakes adjacent states and, sure. and that area that doesn't get as much shine as maybe Florida or New York in terms of sure. death metal. Before we mentioned Dr. Shrinker and Phantasm, you mentioned Realm. Are there any other bands in that caliber um, that you think maybe fans should go back and listen to? Yeah, um, there's uh, there's a band, Vermilion, uh, that's from Madison that's actually really good and very groove-orientated. Uh, he was in a band called Corpsicle for a while, way back in the day that was very popular too. So um, I would say either one of those bands, a really good listen, and uh, it's a good buddy of mine, Kurt, and uh, just a great guy, man, and a couple of really good bands. I mean, they're very... Uh, Vermilion's more of like a... You know, more of a kind of a groove-type uh, thing, but... Uh, his vocals are very guttural and they're very deep and uh he uh just uh he he actually actually when accidental suicide another band that a lot of people don't know about they had their first and only album on peace on peaceville back in the day um and ed jackson the singer uh died a couple years ago and uh he did he did uh he did this kind of crazy guttural scream for me on uh, hatred creation off of dying remains and um after he passed away, they were they didn't know who to get, and uh, Kurt from Vermilion and Corpsicle stepped in and did like an amazing job. Like, I didn't, I didn't, I'm like, I don't know anybody who's got those kinds of vocals because my vocals have obviously changed throughout the years. But I would, I would say any one of those two bands would definitely be worth checking out. Awesome, man. And um, what, what, one other thing, just while we're on that old school topic, real quick, something I've asked a few other guests who've. Uh, uh, been connected in some way or another. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Did you ever uh, come across and meet and interact with the late Joe? I hope I say his name right. Uh, Tychek from Broken Hope. Oh yeah. Oh man, dude. Uh, Joe terrified me. Joe terrified me. He was a he was a great guy. Um, we did, we did. Uh, us and Broken Hope did quite a few shows together uh, back in the day. Whether it was Milwaukee or, or Chicago or you know Illinois in general. Um, Joe was just one of those, like, uh, how can I explain it? Kind of a redneck brawler. Just what you saw is what you got. And he just loved death metal and he just, he loved to scrap. And, uh, <laughs> I would hide from him. <laughs> so like we'd be playing a show together and I'd hide from him because he'd want to like pick me up and throw me in a garbage can or something, you know, and it was all fun for him. You know, it was all fun for him. But of course, you know, for some people it really wasn't much fun, but yeah, he loved to just do just practical jokes and pranks, and he just loved it. And he was he was a very good guy, um, and he, he's missed by all of us. Um, but yeah, no, I I had many 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 times and many interactions with him. And like I said, I'd always have to hide before the show because he'd want to like brawl or you know just a little more you know a little more aggressive than most people. You know that just was his style. Um, but yeah, we'd always always hide from him. I'd be like, is he gone? Is he gone? And we're like, yeah, he's gone. You know, and then he'd come around from a corner and pick me up and throw me in the garbage can. Uh, you know, but no, he, he was a really good guy. I always enjoyed watching him perform, dude, because he just was, he was just the epitome of like what a death metal singer should be, you know? Wow. Just, wow. just great, just great guy. And, um, I mean, even, even the current singer for Broken Hope, he, he's, he's awesome at what he does too. I mean, they got a great lineup together. Yeah. Um, they played Maryland Death Fest a couple years with us yeah. and, uh, they played the night before we played and, uh, just, Wow just heavy brutal stuff on those guys and uh jeremy and i still chat now and again here and there back and forth so yeah just some some really good times man that's, that's a really good uh a, re a really good band and you know just some just some really good times 
Yeah, no, I believe Morgan is the new singer. Yeah, uh, broken and uh, yeah, not not to take anything away from him or, Jer- or Jeremy with the reformed lineup. I'm a big fan of the newer albums as well. Just growing up in the '90s, getting into death metal, Joe was a very iconic death metal singer for me. So I'm always curious if I could get those stories. And you just gave us a great one, man. I really appreciate that. That's awesome. Yeah, dude. no, you know, and it's crazy. I remember the very first demo they had. I was like, oh my god, like I didn't even really know them at all. Hmm. And I got their demo, and I was like, holy shit! I'm like, who the hell are these guys? And uh, yeah, I started to get to know them as we started to play with them, and we all de- developed a friendship and, and a bond. And you know, Brian Griffin was in the band, and he had a studio. And uh, and I think actually Brian Griffin, I think, was working at Wave Digital, which is where we recorded Glory Departure. I believe he was working there at the time. So yeah, so we're all all us Midwest kid, all us mid- mid- Midwest guys, we're all intertwined in some way, shape, or form. Awesome, man. And just for the listeners, we're going to be doing a little bonus extra episode on our Patreon where we talk about some of those releases by other Midwestern bands and give a little shine to that scene so people can check that out, man. And um, uh, Dave, we appreciate everything you shared with us, man. And to be respectful of your time, we are going to wind it down now. And we just want to ask you quickly, um, like we ask every guest at the end, could you just recommend one classic album from any band uh, and any artist, metal or not, just any older classic album that you want to recommend? And one newer album um, or newer release. Uh, it doesn't have to be metal. could be anything else. Just to recommend two things for us and our listeners. Sure, sure. Um, man, I'd have to say, as far as older record, I'd have to say the uh, Michael Shanker, Built to Destroy. No, I'm sorry. No, let me take that back. Michael Shanker, Assault Attack. Sorry. Wow. That okay. is one of my favorite records. I'm such a huge Graham Bonnet fan. And I'm a huge Michael Shanker fan. I was blessed enough to see him a couple years ago in my hometown here, and he just just killed it. So that would be the old record. And then you said you wanted one newer one. Yeah, relatively new, and you know, in your in your summation. Ooh, yeah, that's a tough one. Ooh, <laughs> there's a couple good ones out there. I could go with Judas Priest. I could. Oh man, I'd have to say honestly, uh, the one that really hits me because I play it all the time is the latest Alcatraz with Graham Bonnet. Okay. Just All a right. great, great record. It was either going to be that or it was going to be the Alice Cooper Detroit Rock Stories. Oh. Uh, two amazing, amazing records. I mean, I, I find myself going more back to rock and metal uh, these days instead of... I mean, I do listen to a fair amount of death metal, but I I tend to kind of listen to a little bit more like the, the rock, the stuff I grew up on, you know? Yeah. Um, I, was just cr- I was just cranking out the uh, Ace Frehley solo record. Uh, the very, you know, the one he did that they all, the Kiss ones they did. I was cranking that out earlier, and I'm just listening to it going, holy shit, like, this guy wrote some awesome songs. Like, you know, I know that, I know they, they, they you know, eh, he was a partier and all that, but man, he wrote some really good songs back in the day. Yeah, and some of these guys continue um, to write quality material. I kind of know what you mean. I like I like to follow newer material by classic bands like that. I don't know if you might, you might happen to be familiar then with, um... Uh, Too Mean to Die, the latest album by Accept. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, quali- a, that's a good one, too. I mean, their last, like, three records have been phenomenal. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, the new Cannibal Corpse is great. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Skeletal Remains. I mean, so, you know, I, I, I do listen to some of the newer stuff, but I tend mm-hmm. to find myself going back into the older stuff, like Grave Soulless and, and Tomb Left Hand Path, and just kind of savoring that moment and going, like, this is it. This is this is it. Like I was there. 
I was there, I was doing my thing, they were doing their thing, but we were both in the same time frame doing these classic these classic records, you know? Yeah, definitely, man. A little time a time machine. You can never take it away, man. Um, well, well, Dave uh, Greger of Mortis Gold, we appreciate your time. Thank you for everything you shared with us today. Um, right at the end here, we're just going to give you the opportunity. If there's anything that we failed to let you plug or promote, um, and any final words for uh, fans of your music and listeners of our show. Sure. Uh, well, the only thing I can really say, I, I get this asked a lot about the, the reissues, and I would I have to say, if anybody wants anything, the first three records, uh, Dime Remains, as many fades for all eternity, please, peacefield.com. All the, they're all reissued, remastered, um, and we appreciate everybody that buys them. Um, if anybody's looking for shirts, uh, the DNA Project, um, and this is all on the Mortis Gold page. Everybody can go to, please go to the Mortis Gold page, hit the like button, give us some feedback, you know, spread some comments. We post every Friday, we post some something silly about what we're doing or whatever. But as far as shirts, DNA Project, um, Season of Mist. Season of Mist does not only uh, the Europe uh, uh, shirts for us uh, that's available in Europe, but also in the U.S. So, you know, DNA Project, Season of Mist, Peaceful.com. Um, You can get all this stuff through them. Uh, Pull the plug patches. Um, They do a patch for us every now and again. So we've got some really good vendors out there. Uh, Support them. Help support us. You know, we we, we definitely want to bring another record to everybody. And, uh, I appreciate all the fans. I appreciate you guys doing the interview today, Tom and uh, Justin, and I'm forget one more. Will. Will. <laughs> Sorry, Will. The one that doesn't that's, shut that's up. My, that's my fault. I should have remembered Will. They, the, list, um, the listeners know who I, I am. I thank all you guys for doing this. I mean, it's like, it, you know, without you guys, we, we, we don't do what we do. So it, we really appreciate everything that you guys do as well. Uh, Thank you, man. And we, we appreciate your time, as I said, Dave, man. And uh, we wish you the best in the future. Um, and we encourage our listeners to go and check out all the music we just discussed. Absolutely. Okay, thank you very much to Dave Greger from Mortiscold. We appreciate his time, man. Uh, very interesting interview, man. I have noticed Mortiscold popping up in conversation online a couple times uh-huh. recently, and it's good because that's a band totally overlooked. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. we, we've talked about that off the record a few times. Just a, an awesome band and cool dude. Nice yeah. to talk to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely, man. I mean, I look, I, I, just public service announcement. I love Entombed. We all love Entombed. To the younger people, there's other death metal bands from the early 90s you can check out and get into and be inspired by. Hell yeah. They don't call them the Great Lakes for nothing. Yeah, Mortis Cold just being one of them. Yeah, and uh, as I said, I'm working on a little bonus episode behind the scenes to shed a little bit of light on some of these Great Lakes area and Chicago bands that uh, maybe people don't know about from years past. Maybe you do know about it. I don't know. But um, uh, that's, uh, that's for another time and another day. Uh, what we do got today, though, I think, is we're about to play a little listener voicemail. I love these. Yeah, I, I love hearing what you got to say. 
Hey, uh, this is Jim. Uh, just listening to your master episode, and uh, you guys were talking about Demiwitch. Just wanted to mention that uh, in an email, uh, Anthony Bowman, uh, the guitarist and vocalist from Demiwitch, said that they're they're recording a new EP. So there, there might not be a new like, big album, but they are making new stuff, which is pretty cool. Also, he he emailed me not because I'm some big time death metal knower, but he's this really approachable, friendly guy who will, uh, you know, talk to you if you have questions about things you've ordered from him, which is really nice, I think. Uh, yeah, and also to keep up the great work, I'm stunned by the amount of content uh, you guys create. I shouldn't call it content because that makes it sound cheap, but Thank you. the amount of podcasts you have, I think content. Uh, I'm able to listen to like one third of every, like, one out of every three podcasts, and it's, it's sort of random, but, you know, it's great to know that if I ever uh, go to the hospital or something with some terrible injury, I could just sit there and uh, listen to Heavy Hole until I'm out or until I die. Mm. Uh, thanks a lot. All right, well, Jim, it's not for when you have to go to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it is kind of. <laughs> it's for when you win the lottery and you have nothing to do but lounge poolside and listen to Heavy Hole Podcast mm-hmm. for the rest of your life. Right, when you're fire between firing lousy uh, house staff, yeah. you can listen to us forever. Uh, yeah. Appreciate that, Jim. Yeah, yeah. Uh, excellent. I didn't know that about Auntie Bowman and Demolich uh, crew working on new material. That's interesting news um we uh yeah there's so many people that we'd love to get on the show and reach out to uh we have a a list there's a lot of people behind the scenes that we've reached out to um and we're trying to work things out there's some people that we haven't heard back from yet all sorts of things so demolich is in the mix there too just because we get questions from time to time about getting demolich on um we are working on it and we take all of your uh requests and um suggestions into uh account so, um, if you want to be like Jim, mm-hmm. uh, Jim was Jim was upbeat. This is a very positive. Yeah, Jim uh, had yeah. some nice things to say. He dropped a little dropped a little info on us on Demolich. Mm-hmm. Uh, gave us a nice compliment. You could do that. We accept that. We enjoy that. It's uh, it's positive. It's, right. It builds us up. But we accept worse. Yeah. If you're angry, <laughs> that's right. If Jim- you want to vent, <laughs> if Tony Baldone has mm-hmm. you tied up, bound with duct tape, in the trunk. Of his uh, uh, 1988 Oldsmobile Cutlass Calace. Jim, uh, <laughs> and you need help. Jim mentioned that uh, Heavy Hole, perfect to listen to in the hospital. Yeah. If you would like to send us to the hospital verbally, mm. give us a call. Yeah, if Tony Baldone like sent that. you to the hospital for not <laughs> buying a pastel colored uh, ski jacket, if, what's if, that number? If you slipped and fall. <laughs> Outside of a, a business establishment, possibly an Applebee's, on your way to get two furs so they'd give you a free ticket to go see Jungle Cruise starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> All right, fair give enough. 631 837 3274. Check it out. If you're hurt, dial eight. Yeah, Salino and Bar. I heard, I, I heard Salino is, is going off on his own to do all the uh, lawsuits himself, like Jeff Tate from Queensryche. We've, Dude, we've found so many undiscovered demos, and we can find those demos for you. Also, <laughs> call, call us. Yeah, Salino and Barnes, but it's Chris Barnes. <laughs> and they're, they're finding all the underground demos for you. Okay, we got to go. That's it. Listen, Jim, thank you for the call. Uh, we want you guys to call us up, too. We also want you to go to heavyholepodcast.com. 
We got some merch. We got some patches. We got some shirts. Uh, you, if you got extra money lying around after that, we got extra content on Patreon. But uh, it's not really content. It's beautiful podcasting uh, potpourri, like Jim said. It's not content. Yeah, we don't do content yeah, here. Yeah, we don't do content. Justin right? does content uh, for his day job. He yeah. doesn't do content here. Welcome to content. Yeah, I, I listen, I'm perfectly content to end tonight's episode at this juncture. Uh, thank you to our guest, Dave Greger of Mortis Gold. We hope you will go back and uh, uh, consult that legacy of brutal uh, American-style death metal. Um, lots of great albums there. Uh, also lots of great stuff uh, in the Wisconsin area. Shout also, by the way, um, shout to Roast Mortem podcast. What a sick show. Yeah, dude, yeah. great show. Yeah, if you're smart and you're on our Patreon, you already know what's going on. There's a crossover. This is like when... when uh, the Incredible Hulk fought Batman. I took my shirt off and I turned green and me and Travis got it in. It was crazy. <laughs> no, listen. Roast Mortem Podcast. Uh, I was lucky enough to be a guest host on a recent episode. Um, it got brutal. I don't want to disclose too much. Tom. <sighs> it, it, it was hard to make jokes about that episode. I'll be honest. For some. Usually I'm whipping them out, but yeah. that was that was rough. Yeah, he was whipping them out. Hell yeah, dude. Getting in and whipping it out. Roast Mortem. Love it. Yeah. Whoa, boy. <laughs> All right. All right. This is... Uh, listen, Justin, you know how many steps you just took it too far, sir? I can't get, like, the bar, like the Barnes firm. Like, if that's Chris Barnes, like, the jingle where it's like, the Barnes firm. I was the first singer. Y'all remember Hammer, Smash Face, or some shit like that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, he was um, number one. Yeah. <laughs> Think of a different one.